everybody, what is going on? This is Allison from The Locally Sourced, and on today's episode, I am here with Bob Sargent. Bob is a Stoneham High School alum and helps run the Stoneham Soccer Alumni Group. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the Stoneham Alumni Group and how it works, the soccer group? Yeah, sure. Um, We started our Stoneham Alumni Soccer Group about four years ago now. Um, Unfortunately, we had to cancel our last alumni game, you know, due to the pandemic. Um, but we've had three games in the past. It's a, you know, it kind of got born out of um, trying to come up with some extra support for the current programs. So we um, brainstormed some ideas and, uh, you know, we came up with the alumni game idea that, you know, has been pretty successful. Um, like I said, we've had, you know, three years of games. We've been able to raise some money and give back to the programs, both the boys and girls programs. Uh, and, you know, we've connected a lot of our, you know, past alumni uh, across multiple generations and uh, in our current um, program and, and players. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, the games, we've held the games uh, at Stone High School. Um, you know, it's it's pretty nice to get the current team involved. The captains come back and they help us in terms of, you know, collecting and uh, collecting payments and getting the players set up and all that sort of stuff. Um we get a lot of uh, local businesses involved and, and they donate gift cards and we do a, a whole raffle segment after the game. Uh, and then we've partnered with um, Nobility Hill Tavern. We've gone there the last couple of games. So after the game, you know, anyone of age um, <laughs> will go out and, and hang out for the night. So it's, it's a cool you know event um, that's kind of grown over the years, like I said, and it's a, a great way to raise some money and some awareness and, and give back to the programs that we were all you know a part of and, and really appreciate now, how did this group start in general? Was it just you and someone else kind of talking or in terms of you said you saw a need? How did this come up in terms of let's start a soccer alumni group and host games to raise money for the program itself? Yeah. Um, so the, the boys program in particular uh, in recent years uh, has been on a little bit of a dip. Um, we've had a good couple of years recently. The last couple of seasons, they've been on the up. Um but we kind of had we had these discussions and when I got back involved in first and volunteering for the high school and, and now being part of the actual staff um, coaching, you know, we were trying to figure an idea to sort of rebrand the program, um, you know, in, in funding for for everything, especially in, in public schools is, is difficult to come by. So just trying to get some some more equipment and, um, you know, uniforms, maybe if we needed to or. Uh, just different stuff like that, you know, was, was ideas we had kicked around. And, um, you know, so we came up with the, you know, the alumni game idea. So, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it sort of has grown organically and, and needs that come up, um, not even really like pertinent need or like urgent needs, but, um, you know, like the, the kick cancer benefit uniforms that we had bought both the girls and boys programs, uh, you know, that was a really cool way to give back to the teams. Um, so yeah, it just kind of, you know, we, we wanted control of the, the funds that went to the program. So by creating the group and establishing it as an actual 501 C three, uh, nonprofit, it gives us a lot of sort of flexibility and, and ideas to, to sort of run with. So, um, that's kind of where it was, you know, born from, I suppose. It's interesting you say that because I think sometimes people see the athletic department fully funded 
and um, the arts program or the music program lightly funded. But as you said, you know, it's tough to get funding, I think, all around in public schools to raise funds to have the right equipment up to standards and what you need to be on subpar with the other towns surrounding you to ensure that your players are kind of, you know, used to the equipment and able to train in the right facility with the right components to ensure they have a decent, you know, a winning team. So it's interesting you say that because a lot of people probably think, oh, you know, they don't fund these programs, but they always fund sports. So that's, yeah, the stigma you must hear sometimes. A, a little bit. I mean, you know, the athletic department does a great job, um, but you know, they have a lot of mouths to feed over the course of three seasons. You know, and getting into coaching and being a little bit more behind the scenes in terms of the administrative stuff, you actually don't realize how much sports can cost as well. Um, you know, from buses to referees and officials and, and all that sort of stuff. And that's besides, you know, uniforms and equipment and, and whatnot. So, um, you know, players do pay a user fee, um, but, you know, you get, like I said, you got to spread that amongst all of those different teams and programs. So, you know, I remember um, you graduated, I think a year before I did, yes. right? Yeah. I remember in our era, they were uh, possibly going to cut the swim team and the golf team and cheerleading and, softball and, and, you know, all those types of teams that they had to do their own personal fundraising to, to help continue those programs. So um, while I agree that the, the other programs outside of sports, the, the you know, art and music and, and theater and drama, those programs um, also could, could use and benefit from funding. Uh, like I said, it's, it's hard to get funding across the board. So um, especially from a public school program. Right. And, you know, it just, I think in general, anything outside of school, whether it be art, drama, soccer, any other sport, it gives the kids the opportunity to excel in certain areas that they choose rather than um, if they're not, if they have trouble with the academic part, they're able to excel in other varieties of extracurriculars. So it's important to just fund all the way around, like you said, in order to give these students the opportunity to see a future and something um, they excel in and train hard for and truly enjoy doing. Um, So that's great of you guys to truly do. I did not know you were a nonprofit. I thought it was kind of just like a social group. So that's really good to know for people whom are wondering how does the money get um, spread out and how does it actually donate to the program in itself. Um, so do you want to just talk about some memorable players from the boys and girls team over the years? I'm sure there's a lot, just yeah, sure. <laughs> some specific um, ones. I'm sure you could <laughs> probably talk about. Yeah, I, I think, uh, God, I mean, I guess I'll start, I'll go a little chronologically, I suppose. Okay. So, you know, when I was a kid, um, some of the high school players would, would actually come down to our youth practices and play with our teams. So those are guys like Dominic Martinetti and, and Chris Serino and, and that sort of era. So that would have been, you know, the late nineties to 2000 uh, teams. Um, and, and they were, they were really good players. They had some good teams in those years. Uh, it's been kind of cool. Again, the, the alumni group, we've actually, um, we've connected a lot of these players. So I, I actually got to play with some of these guys a few years ago you know, in one of the like BSSC, um, you know, night leagues. So it's kind of cool that, you know, we get to kind of connect all these players, but um, more in, in my era, um, you know, Jay ring was, was unbelievable. Uh, you know, he's a, he's in the stone high hall of fame now. 
Steve Salerno was one of the best players I've seen. Um, you know, just a very smooth defender. And, uh, and Maxime Abongano uh, was incredible. Um, but, I mean, I think it's obvious if, if I had to go – best players um i think it's no no doubt on on both the boys and girls side the boys the desantis brothers are just freaks uh and the on the girl side the calderelli twins which they graduated last uh last year were on par um with the desantis brothers so um those those four the the brothers and the sisters uh were just on a whole nother level than you know, anybody I've seen in the past and anybody I've seen, frankly, in the league, even uh, nowadays. So um, it's kind of interesting in, in retrospect, just to realize and, and appreciate how good, you know, those guys were. Um, it was incredible to watch them and to play with them. So what were the traits or the talents that they had that just kind of made them stand out? What did you see in them? Yeah, the plays they made or how they approached the field. Yeah, what's funny, there's a lot of parallels between the Calderelli twins and the DeSantis brothers. Um, so they played different positions, right? So Mark was a forward, uh, so he scored a lot of goals, you know, had a lot of points, um, well, was flashy at times, you know, very skillful. Uh, in, whereas Mike, so Mike graduated with me in 2005 and Mark was a year below us in, in 06. Um, Mike was a central midfielder, so he was a little bit, you know, a little bit further back, still scored a lot of goals and had a lot of points in high school, but, you know, did a lot of the, uh, did a lot of the work that doesn't show up on the stat sheet uh, as much as goals and assists. So, I don't know, I played defense, so as a defender, I always uh, appreciate those kind of unsung, you know, guys or, or girls that do a lot of the, like I said, the work that doesn't show up on the score sheet, but, uh, and with the twins, the Calderelli twins, Sam is very similar to Mark. She was the forward. She's the leading, uh, you know, point scorer in, in the girls program history, um, as is Mark for the boys. And Amanda Calderelli was just like Mike, more of a center midfielder, um, still scored a lot of goals, got a lot of points, but, you know, was a little bit deeper back on the line and, and could play a lot of defensive positions. And, you know, those types of players to me just control the game. I think that, you know, Mark and Sam have a you know brilliant game intelligence, but to me, just as a total admitted soccer nerd, uh, <laughs> Mike and, and Amanda, um, just how they read the game, the decisions they make, they're always two, three, four steps ahead of everyone around them, and they just really dictate the pace of the game and just how the game goes, um, which I think is. It's hard. It's hard to say exactly what skill that is. I suppose it's just, uh, just the 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 game smarts. This you know the the soccer IQ uh, for for those for all four of them, but particularly the midfielders is is just on another level. And I agree. You know, I think it's just hard because soccer is just a go 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 game, and be able to play midfield you're up and down the field the whole time you're not just staying back like a defender you're not just up at the goal like a forward so being able to take that position and make it a great position for what they did is incredible skill and just anticipating the next move considering the ball is moving from which way to which way every single second 
is just multitasking skill that it's incredible to do on the field. And that fast thinking is just a skill in general that I'm sure a lot of players have to have and being able to do that and score at once is incredible. So I can see why you remember them as memorable players. Um, have there been any games or they've been involved in or any games that you are, you remember as memorable games where you were behind or forward and so forth? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, wrote a couple of these notes down so I, I didn't forget um in terms of the girls uh and again kind of going with that Calderelli theme um I I think that two two games stand out to me um you know in their recent times that I got to watch so one uh, if, if the girls listen to this podcast they'll, they'll be upset that I brought this up but it was a very memorable game in 2017 uh they played Austin Prep uh away at Austin Prep they played a phenomenal game. It was 0-0 all the way to the end. Uh, Amanda Calderelli ended up scoring a goal, but the referees had called it back. Uh, and within seconds later, Austin Prep scored sort of a cheapy goal uh, and went on to, to win the game 1-0 uh, at the end. But um, it made it that much sweeter because two years later, uh, in, in 2019, they made a, uh, a run to the state championship. Um, they ended up losing to South Hadley, who was a really good team. But that magical run, uh, they ended up knocking out Swampskit, who had been sort of the girls' recent rival. They've met like four out of the last six uh, tournaments. Um, and in that game, they went 3-0 three, three or 4-0, I think it was. They absolutely dominated them. And the the twins, the Calderelli twins, put on a clinic. Um, so that was... In my mind, you know, two of the, the more memorable games on the girls' side. Um, God, for the boys, there's, there's so many that I remember. Um, I think one, you know, a few that really stand out. One was, the first one was in 2002. It was the North, the D3 North semifinal uh, against Wayland. So we had never, maybe it was the North final. We had never won a North championship as a program uh, until 2002. And we met Wayland and it, we played at Salem State, which was a cool venue. Uh, and we went to penalty kicks and we won there. So that was just a just something that really stands out in my mind. Um, I know you had mentioned uh, in terms of talking points, rivalries, and we can go back to this in, a, in you know, when we get there. But uh, both games that we played against Winchester my senior year in 2004, um, they were our biggest rivals, even since we were, you know, in U10s, U12s. Um, but beating Winchester at home for nothing to clinch the Middlesex League title my senior year, uh, that I put that one right up with winning the state title my senior year. So, um, you know, that was a really memorable game. The state championship, like I said, uh, another one that I got to watch uh, was in 2005. The so this, this is the year after we had graduated. We graduated 11 seniors, uh, and that team also got moved up to Division II our fall, the following year, and they, again, won the state championship against Beltratown. So that state final that they beat them in penalties uh, was incredible. A lot of us that had graduated um, you know, came back and, and went to that state final game uh, and watched them win it again. So that was um, – you know, tons of credit to them because I, you know, they weren't expected to win, you know, they were, they were going to be a good team, but you know, they weren't favored to win a, a state championship and they pulled it off a division up in penalties. So um, those I'd say are the most memorable games in my mind. 
You know, it's funny. Um, you talk about these games and the action that you talk about and what happens. It's people think of soccer and they watch professional soccer and they, some people will joke, oh, they just kick the ball back and forth. But in terms of the in-game and watching an action, what makes like the game in itself memorable? You know, just in general, the goals, of course, and the penalty games. Or what was it about those games that you just couldn't get out of your mind? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I, I guess I'll say what I love most about the sport in general um, is, you know, all sports take, you know, athletes, but with soccer, I think it takes the most out of, out of most sports. This is my opinion, but it takes the most intelligence and uh, just instincts and in being able to read the game more than, completely relying on your physical attributes or, you know, athletic ability, you know, I understand on all sports, you got to read the game, make plays, make smart decisions, that sort of stuff. But, you know, I think soccer allows smaller people uh, not as strong or fast. Um, you know, some of the best players in the world, uh, you know, aren't your tallest, strongest, fastest players they're just the most intelligent on the field that read the game the best, make the best decisions. They're just always, like I said, the DeSantis and Colorado is just two, three, four steps ahead of everyone else on the field. So um, I think what, as a game sort of develops, there's always these sort of ebbs and flows. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to withstand some pressure when, a, when the other team is playing well. Um, but things shift back and forth and, you know, then you can be on the front foot and start attacking a little bit more. So the different phases of the game and just sort of maintaining your focus um, throughout that is very difficult. Uh, one thing that's kind of unique to soccer is the game doesn't really stop, you know, other than halftime, but you play 40 uh, straight minutes. So you sort of have to figure things out on the fly as, as things sort of develop and unfold. So um Man, uh, yeah, I'd say just, you know, being consistent, relying on some of the things that you practice and that your team is good at, knowing your strengths and weaknesses, um, you know, whatever that is. If it's, you know, playing balls just down the middle, keeping it on the, on the ground or playing it out wide to play it in the air, if you're a little bit uh, more superior, you know, uh, aerially than the other team, Um and then just relying on, you know, talent for a bit of magic when you need it, you know, like from Maxime or Marky back in the day, um, you know, all of a sudden they would just pull something out of their hat that you didn't expect uh, that nobody expected, um, you know, so stuff like that. I, th I don't know. I think there's just a kind of across the board. There's a lot of different things that I, I just, you know, really love within the game. So. Have you noticed over the years since you played to now how the players and the teams and training evolve? Have you noticed differences in terms of that? Um, not too much. I think it's you know relatively similar. Um, yeah, I don't think too much has changed changed in that regard. I think you know I, I do think that kids today, players today, really start to specialize in one sport. Um, so you don't see as much variety, you know, with sports kids play, which I think is, you know, sort of a, an issue. Um, but in terms of the actual training itself and, and those sorts of things, no, not really.
I was just going to ask you that um, in terms of like, I remember back in the day, if you played football, you'd had to do track and it was, in, it was helpful to do a multi-sport athlete, be a multi-sport athlete because you can take the training throughout the whole, um, any game you play. Do you, what are the benefits of just being a multi-sport athlete as a soccer player? Do they play other sports or do you recommend that they take on another sport? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I always do, uh, at least as a coach, um, <laughs> I suppose partly also selfishly because I coach other sports at the high school that it's nice to get good athletes on your team. Um, but I, I think it does you, I, I think it does benefit them from playing multiple sports with just, I guess, developing your athleticism, uh, getting different experiences. I think when you stay in sort of one realm, um, you know, exclusively, it can, it, I think it just sort of, you know, hampers your development um, overall, you know, as an athlete and as a person. But I think though, what I think the problem is now is, you know, because back when I played, we, we did play soccer year round, but then did other sports, you know, whether it was track or hockey and basketball and baseball and some other sports, you know, out of the fall season, um, you know, we still played, but I think the, I think the, the demands on the, on like the club side of things. So you, know, you play for high school in the fall, but then when you play club winter, spring and summer, you know, they're doing tournaments every weekend, all weekend long. They're practicing multiple times a week. And there's not a lot of flexibility with some of these club teams that, you know, a lot of athletes that I talk to nowadays, they, they have to sort of decide and pick one, you know, am I going to play club soccer this off season or am I going to do baseball or track and field or something like that? Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think that you're still able to play your primary sport year round. I just think the demands on these kids are too much, you know, that if they try to balance two sports, they're going to play or compete six, seven, eight times a week. You know, that sometimes they'll play a few times, uh, on a weekend or even in one day. Um, and you start seeing kids get burnt out and get injured a little more often. So I think that, you know, having that balance and, and trying to be a more of a multi-sport athlete um, can make you a better, just a, a, an overall better athlete that, that, you know, sort of translate to all the sports, including your primary one. Right. And I was just going to talk about that in terms of, you know, you see these teenagers just burning out consistently, practicing, working on the same muscle joints, and all of a sudden they're injured for the rest of the season. Do you see that? pressure kind of on them or is it parents or is it kind of evenly balanced between the child wanting to do it or the parents kind of hoping they do it? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I, I think it depends on, on, on you, on the individual in the family. Um, I think it's also though, culturally, like everyone, you know, everyone has the dream, even, even when we were kids to be a professional athlete. Right. But um you know, really specializing in one area and kind of putting your eggs in all, all in one basket, it can really suck the fun out of it. When really at the end of the day, you know, it's such a small percentage of, of, you know, athletes become professional athletes. Um, and it's really about having fun and, and, and growing and experiencing all that sort of stuff, you know, when you're in that, that high school age. So, um, I think it's, it's just putting too much pressure on the kids to, you know, to become pro or to advance their careers. Um, I think loses sight of, of the main focus, which again is just 
developing good people. Uh, and, you know, when we, when we get to Carino, you know, we can talk about that. That was, you know, his main thing um, was not to develop pro uh, professional athletes, but was to develop, you know, great young adults. Um, and again, having fun and making having fun a priority in the season, you know, is, uh, is very important in my eyes. So how do you approach that when a parent's kind of pushing a coach or even you to say, you know, my child should be playing more time on the field. They should be practicing more. They have to skip out on these academics. You know, how do you approach that? You know, I'm sure there's a few students you could see go professionally. How do you approach certain parents in that retrospect? Um, <laughs> I, that's a tough question, I'm guessing. It is. It is. It's a really tough question. And I think the way that I approach that sort of uh, that sort of area or issue is just with open and honest communication, both with you know the players and the parents. I think that setting expectations is important. Um, communicating honestly to to your players uh, is important. Not just, I mean, if you don't communicate with people, they get very frustrated and and sort of short and don't understand what you know why they're not playing or why you know, you're, you're, the team is doing something that you're doing. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you can't please everybody, you know, with anything in life, frankly, but, you know, as a coach, there's, you can only play only so many people can be on the team and only so many people can be on the field or in different events. So, you know, I think giving them feedback as well is, is helpful. You know, if you say like, you know, listen, Allison, this is why you're not playing. Um, this is what you can work at. We'll work at it together. That sort of thing, you know, that you're all sort of working toward a common goal and not just saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm playing the other guy over you because, you know, no reason like, you know, so I think just communication is huge in terms of mitigating that sort of issue, but it never goes away. I mean, it's a good problem to have too. If players want to play and they're upset about it, that's good. You know, I'd, I'd rather that than, you know, kids just be cool with sitting and never playing. So. Right. And it's hard. It, even just working in the public school or as a teacher, you get that all around. So just approaching it with open communication in general is probably the most honest and helpful piece for the parents and students. In terms of that, how how have the coaches evolved, you know, starting back in the day when you were playing to, you know, Carino and now Jeff Kirkland? How has that evolved over the years? And just talk about some of the memorable things they have all done. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, J Jeff and Carino are, are very different people. Um, they're coaching in very different eras too, right? Like, you know, the, the late eighties and nineties and early two thousands are, are much different than now. Um, yeah, I think just, you know, but they, they both though have always held a, a very professional and high standard. Um, I think that they both have always prioritized that building young adults, Ha like, yes, trying to have as much success as we can, but also, you know, keeping things in a perspective and, and having fun and enjoying, you know, your, your time um, in the program. So, um, yeah, it's difficult. I think like a lot of different things now, uh, communication, social media, um, you know, different stuff like that is, is very different than like when I played or even before then. So there's definitely challenges that you just have to be mindful of, you know, just the culture today um, in, in, you know, just the, the social media, the, the filming, the phones, all that different stuff. You know, you just got to be mindful, um, you know, and, and be aware of that sort of stuff. So 
that's, you know, I guess a, the biggest difference, I think, you know, from today to, you know, past generations, if you will. Has there been any memorable uh, games or the coaches have coached and kind of gave the positive feedback or kind of uh, helped the students play a game to a point where they won successfully and had a great comeback? Yeah, um, I can think of two recent ones, um, you know, in, in, with Kirkland and in myself and uh, Tambo and a couple of the other guys. Um, in 2018, we we made the tournament uh, for the first time in I think it must have been eight years or so at that point. Um, so that was a big you know milestone for us to qualify for the postseason. And then we had a playing game on the road against Hamilton Wenham, uh, and it was incredibly windy. Um, but anyways, we ended up holding on to a, a one nothing win. Uh, Kevin Sarkis uh, scored an absolute banger free kick from 40 yards out-ish. Uh, it was unbelievable. But So that was a memorable game. Um, one that we had this season, uh, the weirdest season of all time with uh, COVID and, and all that stuff, um, that was against Wakefield. So we played, we played Wakefield. It was in Wakefield. Um, they were a good team, well-coached. Uh, they were dominating us in the midfield for the first 10 or 15 minutes, and, and we made an adjustment. So uh, Jeff and I were talking on the side and just saying, like, we're getting killed in the middle of the field, but they're not pressuring us too much, you know, on our back line. So let's leave. Uh, we have an absolute stud, uh, Eve Maurer. Leave Eve in the middle. Move uh, John Porter up into the midfield to play a midfield five even out that, you know, the numbers with Wakefield, because right now they're just passing around us. So we made a switch from a, you know, a, a four, four, two into a three, five, two, it balanced the game. Uh, we ended up getting better chances and, and ended up uh, getting a penalty to go up one, nothing. And then um, scored a late one, two, to make it two nil was the final. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, adjustments um, is a big part of coaching and, you know, I, I enjoy that sort of tactical side of the game a lot. What is it like to go from a being a player to a coach now? What qualities and skills have you rolled over into coaching that you used as a player? Just watching the game from the outside now. Yeah, um, it's very different. Uh, similar in a, in a way, too. I mean, there's to me, there's nothing better than, uh, you know, a beautiful fall September afternoon, just going outside, you know, uh, for a couple hours and, and getting a practice in or a game. Um, some of the skills, you know, I wasn't the most uh, skilled or talented player myself, but um, I did a lot of instinct with reading the game, uh, you know, hard work and in preparation were, those were the areas that, that I uh, excelled at. So, I think carrying that over into coaching uh, has been very helpful. Just, you know, preparing for games, being able to read the game uh, and make those sort of adjustments, you know, as the game unfolds, um, you know, those have been things that I did as a player uh, and been kind of carried over, you know, as a coach. Have you noticed that since you were able to play a player to a coach now, have you been able to relate to your players a little more closely in terms of, where they need help in? Have you seen any positive impacts on their lives in terms of the way you coach and, you know, your ones in their shoes as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's a huge advantage, you know, especially having played for this program. Uh, you know, you get to tell stories, draw back on experiences or examples 
um, you know, that's a lot of fun. They, they do respect it. You know, they, they look at us as, as being old and, you know, playing a long time ago, but then, you know, when they're, when they're in the gym and they see the banners, uh, you know, hanging on the walls, they understand playing themselves. They understand how difficult it can be to, to win championships and, and to win league titles to, you know, so to see those, um, they understand that we've gone through that and have lived that. So they do, it does help build a relationship and, you know, being a defender as the player, you know, has helped me as a coach because I can relate to the defenders on our team, but also work with the forwards because I can speak sort of from a defensive perspective. Um, yeah. So a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, has helped sort of relate to the players because if you can't relate to the, to your players, I don't think you're going to have much success. Right. And that, I think that's helpful because um, you know, it's just, when you go into teaching and working with kids, I work in kids in general, it's just hard to, I guess, relate to them. I, I don't know. We're not that old, which is funny when they think we're old, but um, it's, it's relating to players and coaches is that trust and communication that you have to build. And I'm sure over the years, coaches have done it so well. Um, and, you know, as we move on, let's talk about Carino and how he's really impacted the program and students and how just the way he coached and communicated and socialized with the kids. Um, let's just start about Carino's history in the program. Sure. Um, so Carino, so I, I wrote a couple of these things down because I'm not hundred percent sure. So I think he started coaching in 1989. Um, he retired after, I think it was the 2011 season. So what's that quick math, like 22 or so years uh, of coaching. He came back a few years later um, in, in more of an, in an assistant role. He helped coach the freshman team uh, for a couple seasons. And in 2019, he was the varsity assistant coach um, with Jeff when Tambo and I um, were working with the JV and freshman team. So, yeah, he's, he's always been involved. Uh, even those few years that he was, you know, I'm using air quotes for the listeners retired. Uh, he was at every single game, always in our ear, um, you know, with what's going on and just his opinions and, and all of that stuff, which he loved to share. Um, yeah. So it was really this past season with COVID um, was kind of the first time that he really took a step back um, because of the inherent risks, you know, with the virus. So, um, but he was still very involved. He, we started doing live streams through the athletic department. So, you know, with his whole audio visual, um, you know, history and, and skill set, he helped, uh, you know, set all that stuff up and, and run that for both uh, the boys and girls teams, but also the other programs too. They were live streaming field hockey games and, and some other stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, so it's a little bit of his history. How was he as a coach as he evolved over the years? He was the man. Um, <laughs> he was he was easy to play for uh, and easy to work with. Very easy to communicate with. Um, I guess all coaches, regardless of sports, you know, you, you could kind of try and profile them in two different ways. You have you have some coaches that were uh, that are very X's and O's, very tactical, very playbook, um, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, and then you have coaches that you know, are much better at like the, the man management side of things, communicating and relating with players and, um, you know, that sort of thing. And that's where, um, I mean, Carino definitely, 
know, understood the tactical side of the game, but his strength, uh, his brilliance was in that man management piece. Um, so that that's, I think, his biggest strength. I can give you one personal example uh, of him doing that. So my senior year or going into my senior year, I, I very much wanted to be captain, wasn't named a captain um, and obviously was disappointed you know, by that. Um, but the way he was able to really read people and, you know, I mean, people that know me, I, I wear my emotions on my sleeve uh, often. Um, but he, so he approached me, he, he had a, a, a candid personal conversation with me and said, listen, you know, I, I know you're upset about not, not being named a captain. He, you know, he said, frankly, there's 11 guys on this team that I could name captain. So I don't think that you can argue with Mike DeSantis and Steve Mahoney being named the two captains, uh, which is, he's definitely right about, but he said, you know, I need you this season. I need all of you guys this season. We can do special things. We have to get past, you know, that disappointment and, and play for the team, um, which was huge. You know, just having that conversation, I think sort of really helped me put that behind me and, and move on um, and have the great season my senior year, you know, that we did. So. I think that's so helpful coming from a coach and just knowing that just pulling you aside in general is probably one of the greatest qualities about a coach can have um, in terms of connecting with you and just helping you note that in addition to you, but it's a team effort. We still have to support our team, you know, just because communication and ability to interact with the kids. What other qualities did he have as a coach that really help these uh, players stand out and become great players and a great team and win those championships. Yeah. He knew um, he knew how to take the pressure off of his team when he needed to. So, you know, going into, to that, that fall uh, 2004 season, you know, understanding that it's high school sports, it's, it's not the end of the world, but as a 16, 17 year old, you know, on that team, um, it's everything to you, you know, like that's what you've been playing for for years. And, and for us that season, you know, we had, so my sophomore year, uh, we tied the state championship final. They did co-champions at that time. They didn't do penalty kicks. Um, my junior year, we lost uh, two nothing in the state final again. So my senior year, you know, we were ranked number one in the state um, preseason and through the entire season. They ranked us, I don't know how you do this, but they ranked us 15th uh, nationally. So there was a lot of pressure on us as a team to deliver, to win. And he just moments in the season. And I remember it was the the day we're heading to Worcester State for the state championship game. So we meet in the in the uh, Stoneham High gym. We're sitting there in the bleachers and, and Carino kind of gives us the little bit of a you know, pregame speech, you know, now we got to drive an hour out to, to Worcester, but he said to us, you know, listen, you guys don't have to prove anything. You guys have made three state championship finals in a row. You've won 61 or whatever games it was in, in three seasons. We know that you guys are the best team in the state. You don't need to prove that to anybody today. So especially you seniors, he said, um, enjoy it. You've played it. This is your third final in a row. Enjoy it. You're not going to play in anymore. So make sure just 
enjoy the game, have fun. Um, and it was just, it was a perfect approach, you know, that we needed, you know, because for us, you know, we were, we put a ton of pressure on ourselves that day, that season to, to win, you know, if we lost, um, it would have been devastating, but for, to hear those words before we went out for the final, you know, just let us play loose. Um, so, yeah, so that was, how did that game end up in the end? Well, we won, uh, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but, you know, to his point, we were down. Uh, we went down one nothing uh, in the first half. At halftime, too, um, you know, similar sort of thing. He knew, you know, we were playing pretty well overall. Um, he had the confidence in us. His, his MO that he said constantly was confident, not cocky, which is a fine line. Um, but he knew how to sort of, you know, keep us on that, um, confident, you know, side of the fence. So, um, yeah, I can't believe Well, th- this would have been, I didn't mention this game, I suppose, in the memorable games I should have, but, uh, definitely the best comeback that I've seen. Uh, you know, we were down one, nothing, like I said, and then, um, was it? it was, it was Don Previty, uh, off a corner kick. He put one into the box. We got a little bit lucky. Um, you know, he put it close to the line. It bounced around and, and went off of one of their players and into the net. We'll take it uh, to, to go 1-1. One, one. And then again, like I said, a bit of magic from Mark uh, DeSantis, just an unbelievable header goal. It was a floated ball up. He, this is what I mean by like the IQ. Mark was able to look behind him, see the keeper coming off his line a little bit. And instead of taking the ball down, Mark just turned and flicked a header, floated it over the keeper uh, and into the net to go to go up two one. Um, yeah, and then you know guys like Joe Staub, uh, our phenomenal keeper, uh, he came up with a big stop uh, late in that game, and yeah, the game finished two one. We were able to win it. Thank How God. was Carino after that? <laughs> uh, beside himself, just totally elated. Um, it's cool if if you see it's been fun to, to go back, uh, before he passed away, I, I saw him a few weeks, uh, before he passed And um, I've been working on this project now, sort of building the alumni archive and photos and videos and all sorts of stuff and, and going back and watching, uh, you know, some of the old footage. Um, it, it really was like a family and the players didn't just celebrate together. And if you watch that state final game, when Mark scores, the whole team, runs over to Carino, uh, which is really cool. And you don't really think of that in the moment, but it's just a very natural, you know, thing that happens. So, uh, yeah, he was, he was very happy and relieved. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. How was he off the, off the field as a teacher, as a, you know, some, someone as support, how was he as a mentor? Yeah, he, he was just so easygoing. He was, um, I would describe his personality as just larger than life. Uh, and he wasn't too dissimilar on the field and off the field. He just kind of was who he was. Um, yeah. I, you know, my, my first relationship with him was obviously as coach. Um, but then it, you know, sort of grow, it grew and evolved into, you know, a mentor um, and, and a great friend. You know, I, I think, you know, I sort of looked to him, he was, I'm the oldest in, in my family. He was kind of like an older brother uh, in a lot of ways. You know, he was very candid. He would have great conversations, open conversations with you. He'd give you advice, 
Um, but always in a like fun and lighthearted way. It was never, you know, he never reprimanded you uh, or, or anything like that. He was always, you know, very understanding, very open, very supportive. Um, yeah. He only got mad at me once in my life. Um, <laughs> I can tell you that story if you want. But... <laughs> I'd love it. Sure. As long as it's like appropriate. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know. I, 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 consciously put the filter on, uh, you know, before coming on, you know, coaching now still in the program, running the alumni group teaching, uh, in town as well. So I got to make sure you know, all, yeah. all stories are appropriate. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, this was, so this was our sophomore year. So I, I guess in short, it was only stupid stuff that he would get mad at. So we went out. It's funny that I mentioned this to the kids last season and they almost had no idea what I was talking about, but I'm sure you'd remember, uh, toilet papering we did it every single pasta party um you know back when we were in high school we'd go out after the after we ate you know we'd go out we'd buy a ton of tp and just go and, and tp the girls houses is, is pretty much uh what we did and i remember it was my sophomore year um it was pretty early in the season i was so happy to make the varsity team and to get some playing time and uh we were toilet papering hannah Wark's house um and I'll never forget it. So I, t- I took a roll of TP. I had a phenomenal throw up into the tree. And as it, as I threw it, I was running back to get another roll and I was admiring my throw and I came off the sidewalk and fractured my ankle. I rolled it and fractured it. Um, oh God, it was so painful. And I remember, you know, a few of my teammates coming over, uh, actually, ironically, Jeff Kirkland, um, cause he would, I couldn't drive as a uh, sophomore. So he was driving me around. So we came home and, uh, you know, I had to go to the hospital. I was in a boot, uh, and all sorts of stuff like that. And then the next day at practice, um, he was pissed, you know, getting injured in, in a game or a practice or any, you know, sorts of things like that. He didn't care really. I mean, he didn't encourage it, but he didn't really care that we, you know, toilet papered and did all that stupid stuff as kids. But, um, to do something dumb and get injured doing it. That was the one time he like really laid into me. What did he say? Oh, I just, you know, <laughs> standard, <laughs> disappointing. And it was that sort of, that was like the fatherly talk, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed. You're letting your team down, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, that something that could have been prevented, you know? Yeah. But. We were teenagers. I'm sure we've done, a bunch of stupid stuff like that. Um, any other m- good memories or stories you got? I know there's a ton. Any um, ones you wanted to mention that some people have mentioned to you or you were there for? Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone that, that had had texted me or, or sent me a message always mentioned the pasta parties. Um, that was that was a staple for us, at least, you know, two, three times a week. But the, the night before every game. Um, we would have a pasta party, we'd have, you know, FIFA tournaments and, and stuff like that. And Carino would always, he always came to them. He always came to the pasta parties, uh, you know, at the beginning of it. And, uh, he'd play the FIFA tournaments with us. So he was always, um, you know, involved in that regard. So, you know, that sort of social element of the team was always, uh, real important to him. Um, in fact, at his, at his wake uh, at Stoneham High, which was amazing, um, I saw Steve Harrington, Coach Harry, uh, and he was 
we were reminiscing and he was telling me some stories and he was laughing because in his early days, I think Harry started coaching in 94. And he said, uh, he said Carino's number one focus was the, the hamburgers and hot dogs. Like where were, it was just, <laughs> it was so funny to hear some of the stories back in the nineties that I was unaware of, um, you know, but he never changed, you know, like, you know, the, the team and in, in, in the game was, was a priority, but also that sort of social and fun element to it was always a huge priority for Carino. Um, I think our favorite though, every year, I mean, we were lucky uh, during my era to, to make the postseason every, every year. And it's interesting in those days, um, you know, we had the internet, but we didn't have cell phones that you could go on the internet. You didn't have like that, uh, connectivity you know that access to, to things that the kids do nowadays so the brackets would come out uh for the playoffs and we would have a pasta party that night and it was always so it was we anticipated it so much because carino would he would do it where he would reveal the brackets so we'd sit there you know around the table the whole team and he would slowly reveal the different seeds and the different uh matchups for that tournament so um yeah, I remember that the most, you know, that that tournament seating pasta party. What was it like to have them at the parties? What did that mean to you guys as a team and students? Yeah, it, it was we were a family, you know, like him, him coming all the time. There wasn't any uncomfortability or awkwardness. You know, he just, you know, like I said, he was larger than life. So he'd stroll in the door and he was just, you know, the focus. Um, he would banter and, and just bust chops with everybody. I don't think anybody uh, didn't get something from Carino. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he was just, it, it, that was the family, you know, and, and if he wasn't there or, um, you know, it was like you were missing, you know, like the, the main character, at, you know, the family holiday, so to speak. It was, uh, yeah, so like him, him going to, to all that sort of stuff was important. I don't think we necessarily realized it in the moment, but uh, especially looking back, it was very important. It just shows how much he truly enjoyed what he did and how much he loved you guys as students. You know, it's and he wasn't just involved with soccer kids. He was involved with everybody throughout the high school. Um, do you want to just go over kind of how he was involved with seniors, prom, uh, carnival ball, the plays? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, so obviously he coached, you know, boys soccer, but he coached tennis as well. Um, I think both boys and girls, uh, I think he kind of bounced back and forth or, you know, whatever. But yeah, then he was involved in, uh, I mean, carnival ball was his staple. Um, and then there's things I didn't, I forgot about a lot of the stuff, you know, and now hearing about it as he had passed away, you know, how involved he was with proms and how involved he was with all the banquets that, that, you know, were had, uh, whether they were sport banquets or team banquets, whatever it was. Um, you know, he was like, I think he was the senior class advisor forever. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the guy was just involved in everything. I mean, like literally almost everything. It was funny, Kevin Yanakopoulos, I was talking to him the other day. Um, he, he helped sort of run the, the facilities, um, at, in the stone district. And he had said, you know, like the, the conversation was about what could be named after him and it could be so much. I mean, it could be the field, the athletic complex. It could be the auditorium. It could be different events, the alumni game, carnival ball, you could name in his honor or different things like that. So um, 
yeah, you could name the whole school after the guy. Like that's how involved he was with all the different, you know, different areas of, uh, of the student life. And that's, I think that's great to know because he not only touched the lives of just players and athletes, but he touched everybody's life. And I think that's the type of legacy you want to leave as a teacher. And that's why you go into teaching is you want to not just educate them, but also be there for the kids. Um, now you as a teacher and a coach in the um, high school or Stonehome, the Stonehome group, what, what do you look into being like Carino and seeing him as a member, what traits did you take from him that you now kind of practice as a coach and a teacher? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, it's, it's that relatability in, in building the relationships. Um, it's cool. It, it's cool running the alumni group and the alumni Instagram and, and all that stuff, because a ton of people have reached out, uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks after, since his passing. And what I've noticed the most is, you know, like you said, him being involved in everything, so many people have reached out and it wasn't just a relationship of, yeah, Karina was my coach. It was each individual had a very meaningful relationship with him that meant a lot to each of them. And, you know, they have memories of, and they speak of very fondly. Um, so it wasn't just a like, oh, I'll pay my respects because I knew the guy. It was I'm devastated because he was my friend. He was my mentor. This is memories and stories and, and how much he meant to each individual, which I thought was really cool. Um, and that's something, you know, I, I try and sort of model my own uh, teaching career after, um, you know, it, it's, it's nice. It, it, teaching is my second career. Uh, I, I spent, you know, a decade in, in business. Um, so now, you know, switching over to, to teaching, you know, I love it. I appreciate it. And, and every day I have a lot of fun with it. So it's, it's great. And, and that's what I look forward to the most is really getting to know your students and your athletes, um, the kids as individuals, really getting to know them as people and building those relationships with them that hopefully last, you know, as long as the relationships with Carino did, you know, decades and decades. So, um, yeah, it's cool. If you can make an impact on, on kids, I think that's, uh, that's worth everything, you know, you know, you just looking at Carino and how he did it. Like you said, the, the wake itself at the high school was such a large venue and there were still people outside waiting in line to pay their respects, not just because they knew him, but there was always something personal firsthand experience with him. Um, is there, I, I know this would be tough, but what kind of legacy do you think he left with the Stoneham, not just school, but the whole community in general? Yeah. Oh God. Um, I, I'm not sure if you can put that into a few sentences um, and not to cop out on the answer, but I think, I suppose just underlining the importance of community, you know, cause I think if you were to sum it up, I think that's really what, I think that's what meant everything to Carino because all, all of the other things that we're talking about sports, um, you know, drama, carnival ball, the, the proms and all that stuff fall under that community umbrella and um, I was thinking about it the other day, it, it didn't take a pandemic for Carino to prioritize and appreciate the value of community. So I think that is his legacy. If I were to put it in, in short, I think just the value uh, and importance of your community, because at the end of the day, 
it's really all you got is, you know, your, your health, your family, your community. And, uh, you know, he prioritized those things for sure. I agree. And I, there's not one person really you go out there at Stoneham who could say they know Carino, they have a great story about him, but they just knew he was involved in whatever it may be. So that's just a legacy in itself. Um, what was his involvement with the alumni group as you guys got older? What was your relationship from students now to alumni and coworkers? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. Um, he was a huge supporter uh, of, of pushing the alumni idea. Um, he, he helped me with a lot of stuff, you know, as, as I started getting it up and running uh, in, in just from making flyers to organizing it to uh, he was a big part in, in designing like the logo that we had created. Um, he, he contributed so much. I mean, he was not a lot of people know this and, and I, I don't feel bad sharing it now because uh, he wanted to be anonymous, um, you know, when this happened. So our first year we had t-shirts made uh, which cost about like six or $700 total. He covered the whole thing. Um, he donated that to the program, uh, and to the alumni game, which, you know, really got us up and on our feet, uh, and wanted no credit for it. He wanted it to remain anonymous for that. So, um, you know, which I respected, but, uh, you know, now that he's gone, I can give him, give him the credit and, <laughs> and make sure people know, but yeah, man, he, he was huge. He was, uh, he was so important to getting the alumni group really up and running and just connecting, you know, all the different generations, um, you know, a lot of people helped. Dominic Martinetti was a huge, huge help. And Chris Serino and uh, some of the younger guys like Alex Brown and, and those guys, Ryan Carino as well. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if, if it would have been as successful as it has been without the support and help of, uh, of Jim. That's amazing. And that, and that just talks about his character the fact that he donated all of that to the students without wanting to be mentioned. And, that just says a lot about his willingness to help anyone in need and support them behind the scenes. Um, so that's, that was very generous of him. And that just, again, says a lot to his character and who he is and type the legacy he'll leave. Um, how was it when the students and everybody heard about the loss of Carino? Oh God. Uh, it was devastating. Um, yeah, it was, when I found out, uh, I was actually in the middle of tutoring uh, a student and Kirkland called me. Um, I had to ignore his call. So I, you know, I denied it, but then I texted him and, and just said, what's going on? Uh, and he said, did you hear the news? And I said, you know, what news? Jeff's helping me coach uh, track and field this winter. So I figured seasons postponed or COVID or something like that. And then he said, uh, you know, give me a call when you get a chance. And when, you know, when you get that text, you know, something is wrong. Um, so I called him right away and, and he told me, uh, and I, it was just disbelief, frankly. And, and I think that was a common feeling across a lot of people was they just couldn't believe it. Uh, I got off the phone with Jeff after he told me that Carino passed away. Somehow I lasted like another 40 minutes in that tutoring session. But then I told the kid, like it started setting in. Um, and I told him like, listen, I'm sorry, but I got to, I got to end it. Um, and then I just broke down like for, you know, that night, uh, was hard. Um, just thinking about different memories and, and texting old teammates and, and people. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you, you, you could see, I mean, God, from the, the wake that they had, which was incredible. Uh, he was, you know, his death was on, it was covered by the news. Um, it was in the newspapers, you know, just the, the impact, uh, you know, the, I don't even know. It was just the, the, you know, the, how many people were affected by it, uh, was remarkable. You know, I had old teachers that, uh, um, that I don't see every day, but that are still at the high school cause I'm down at the middle school. Um, but they were emailing me just reaching out and, you know, seeing how people were doing and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's a huge hole. Um, and I was saying to, to Kirkland and Tambo the other day, it's one of those, I, I think it'll take me a long time to get over and, and not in such a bad sense. I'm just saying, I think there's, like we had been saying, he had such an impact across so many things that I feel like for a long time, there will be moments and things that just remind me of him or make me think of him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it was, de- it was devastation, but what's nice is I, I think it was evident through the wake. Um, it was handled in a, in generally speaking, a celebratory way. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people really celebrated his life, who he was, his contributions and his impact on everybody. Um, which I think was, was really evident through that, uh, that wig. I don't know if you got a chance to, to go down to the high school for that, but it was, it was unbelievable. You know, that tribute walk that they kind of designed, um, for the wig. It was incredible. And I think, you know, it's just hard losing someone who's been there forever. He was, you know, he didn't move on like some teachers do. He, he's been there and held that legacy. Um, (laughs) As for you and, you know, past students and present students, he stayed there for as long because he loved it. He loved what he did and he made that impact. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's nice that you could share the memories with the past, present and, you know, the kids who had them just this year. What kind of um, ways are you going to remember Carino or any ways you're going to uh, honor his name? Yeah, yeah. Um we've talked about different ideas, um, you know, from shirts to, uh, you know, renaming the alumni game, possibly, you know, in his memory, um, some different stuff like that. I I really hope that we're able to do a scholarship in his memory. Uh, That's something that, you know, a bunch of us have have talked about. Um, I want to be extremely respectful to the Carino family, uh, you know, in, they're in the, the period, obviously, of, of mourning and, and grieving. But, um, you know, eventually, uh, you know, we'll talk to, to Kathy and the kids and um, see how they want to go forward with things. We do have a Jim Carino Memorial Fund that uh, his youngest or, well, he has twins. So Will, uh, Will Carino had created. Um, so a lot of people have been donating that through PayPal. Uh, I don't have visibility to that myself, but um, I've gotten over a thousand dollars in donations through the alumni account. We have a Venmo account that we handle or use for like our alumni games. Uh, and I've gotten over a thousand dollars donated to that. Um, you know, a, a, a few minutes ago, we talked about how important Carino was in terms of um, supporting the alumni group and the vision and, and really getting that going. And uh, one thing that him and I always talked about was, you know, ideally, hopefully down the road, we'd be able to do some sort of scholarship. Um, 
you know, to, to help the kids uh, a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tragic that he, he himself is actually possibly the catapult for that. Um, but also, I mean, almost poetic in a way that it would be, you know, a, a scholarship in his name. So I'm hoping that we, you know, can, can do something like that, that his name, uh, you know, can live forever. And I'm sure um, something, <laughs> whether it's the fields, athletic complex, auditorium, whatever it is, uh, will be named, you know, in his name. Um, I don't know what they're going to do, but, you know, hopefully we're, we're able to build a new high school in the, in the you know, near future. Uh, and I've, I'm sure that, you know, it'll be discussed and appropriate. Something will be named after him that his name won't go away. Oh, I'm sure there will be something like you said, um, in, t- in terms of naming something after him, just a memorial. And, I'm, you know, even just being on the field, I'm sure for everybody, wherever he was in the high school, he'll be remembered in those terms, just in the booth at the tech booth or mm-hmm. on the field coaching. There'll always, always be a time where you won't forget him and those memories will be shared throughout the years. Um, and especially with the alumni group now, you guys can kind of uh, help that memory of Karina live on and just help others understand what he was like as a coach and how important it is to have an alumni group and have everybody come together. In terms of joining the group, uh, what do you recommend someone to do to become part or help out or volunteer? Yeah, uh, there's no, there's no like formal membership uh, or anything like that. So, so it's very easy. And, you know, we don't have a ton of, um, events or days on the calendar and, you know, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess just reaching out to us, uh, you know, marking off that day uh, in the fall, we haven't announced the the fifth annual yet. Um, although we do, this could be really nice because I was, we were planning already for the fifth annual to try and get some families and parents back. Uh, and now to really also focus on the Carino aspect of it. Um, could be a huge day, you know, for, for us, the, you know, the, the programs, the, the group, uh, and, you know, the, the, the community, uh, overall, but, um, in terms of getting involved, you know, the vision that I have, uh, overall for the alumni group is to, you know, support the active programs, um, connect the alumni and the active players, uh, and even after, you know, the kids graduate to, to have that network, that who knows uh, whether it's create intramural teams like we had, you know, a few years ago that we played together with some of the older guys um, or jobs and job opportunities. If people are hiring or looking for experience, I know we were able to do that once uh, in the fall, we had posted something and um, uh, another alumni, Phil Simons was looking to hire somebody uh, through a coaching role. And, and we were able to find someone through the alumni account, which was pretty cool. Um, yeah. And then, you know, a, a scholarship, whether it's in Carino's name or, or not down the road would be great to sort of help some graduating players, you know, with, uh, financial, uh, college financials, which is, you know, obviously a huge problem these days. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that overall vision, uh, in, in any way that people can help, whether it's donating or just getting involved, volunteering on the day, playing, uh, all that sort of stuff is, you know, is a big help in terms of the group. Now, in terms of donating, they would just reach out to you or go on your Instagram account and find that link. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, um, yeah, right now on our Instagram account 
if you're talking about uh, donating to the the specific Jim Carino Memorial Fund, um, I do have that link posted in our profile right now. Um, I think I also put it on Facebook. Uh, it's funny. That's why we created the Instagram account because we were we weren't able to really reach anyone from 18 to 30. Um, so we finally, you know, pulled the trigger on making a, an Instagram account, which we've filled in that hole. You know, we have a lot of communication with those younger uh, players, so uh, which is pretty cool. But yeah, that link is there uh, on our Instagram account. Um, they can reach out to to me or anybody. You know, Kirkland, uh, Tambo, any of the players. Um, you know, they'll send you in the right direction. Um, and yeah, like I said, it's a, uh, it's a proper 501 C three nonprofit. So it's, uh, you can, you can write it off in the, the whole nine yards. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Bob, for being on the show. You know, I appreciate it. Um, I'm sure Carino and his family and the whole soccer program, the whole high school program uh, in general appreciates all the kind things we talked about for him. Um, it's a great way to really just take a time to remember him and his legacy and all the good things he's done. And I'm sure in the future, we'll maybe meet up and talk about, you know, the scholarships or whatever you guys have done for the program in itself. Um, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I, I never thought uh, anyone would ask me to talk stone soccer for over an hour. So, <laughs> if, well, my uh, dream has come true now. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And I was joking with uh, with my my girlfriend. She said, um, "I said if there's anyone that can talk about stone soccer for over an hour, she found him." Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but this was cool. This was a lot of fun. Um, so, thank you very much for having me. Once again, guys, this is Bob from uh, the Stoneham Soccer alumni group. Reach out to him on Instagram for any participation you want to donate or uh, just volunteer, however you want to get involved. And this is Allison from The Locally Source, and thank you for listening.